0: This is the Aesthetic Ecosystems Podcast. I'm Ben Hale, your virtual design guide to help you and your family have a healthy, beautiful landscape with less work. What's up and welcome to episode eight of the Aesthetic Ecosystems Podcast. That's right, guys. We're creeping up on double digits here with the podcast. I'm so glad you're here today to uh, tune in for another show. Uh, If you haven't listened to the previous shows, of of course, I highly recommend you go check them out. I mean, what's not to miss, right? So today we're going to be talking about disease and pest problems, and more importantly, what they mean What's the underlying cause for these issues? And and that's really the key that we're going to be talking about today. We're going to be going deep, uh, getting our In- inspector gadget hat on today and really trying to understand what are the causes or the root causes of your issues that you're having with your plants in your landscape and this is everything from your trees to the grass beneath your feet to the plants in your garden bed and even as as much to say as about your your uh, vegetable garden if you have a vegetable garden Uh, this this same uh, process applies there too so definitely stick around today it's going to be a great show and before that I just want to thank you for listening thank you for tuning in I'm really having a great time recording these first eight episodes here, and uh, I hope you really feel like they're jam-packed full of information that's helpful for you in changing your life uh, through your landscape, and And I want to hear your feedback. So definitely, if you have any comments, go on over to the show notes. Today's uh, episode, you can go to aestheticecosystems.com slash episode eight, and you will get the uh, page for this episode and leave your comments there, and in any show in the future, the same thing. You go to aestheticecosystems.com/episode followed by the number of the episode, and that'll take you right to the episode that you're listening to. And leave a comment. I keep a close watch on those comments uh, to see what's coming in and to hear your feedback. And I want to hear your feedback. I want to get this show custom tailored to, to fit what you want to hear. And, and I'd love to talk about the topics that you're dealing with right now in your landscape. Uh, if you're listening to this as I'm recording it or soon after it's still uh, late winter. And so there's not a whole lot going on in the landscape. This is the perfect time to be planning for your, your growth season, the upcoming year. If you're from the South, your, your plants might already be booming or they might not even slow down over the colder months here. Uh, especially if you're in say southern florida or something and uh or you know th- throughout the world so uh, definitely leave your comments i'd love to hear your feedback let me know what you want to hear let me know what you're thinking about the show so far and and i want to have an open ear to to what you're thinking and and likewise your reviews on iTunes and Stitcher and other feeds are really helpful for me reaching other people and helping get our message across. So if you haven't done so already, go on over to uh, iTunes or whatever, and, and leave her a thoughtful review. Let it, let us know, let everybody know what you think about this show and, and how you feel about it so far. So let's get into it today. Disease and pest problems and what they mean. That's the most important piece is what they really mean. There's tons of ways to fix disease problems already out there. I'm sure you're aware of if you have, if you have grubs, there's a way to fix that, right? And there's a thing you can go get grub removers for your landscape. Uh, if you're having, uh, uh, aphids, you, ha- you can go get a spray for that. And there's all sorts of custom tailored tools that there's a ton of research that goes into these things and and to how to eradicate them from your landscape. There's also organic methods. If you're more into more of the healthy methods of removing things or, or <laughs> organic doesn't always mean healthy. I want to just make that clear. But if, you, if you're trying to do something that maybe is either healthier for you and your family... Generally speaking, organic is is the way to go. and uh, and there there are plenty of uh, ways to solve some of these problems there, too. but the the key here is that if you just work on the specific problem at hand, you might not be fixing the underlying the true problem. and And that's what we're going to get into today. So when you're talking about different types of plant disease or conditions uh, problems, Generally speaking, they fall into these categories. They're mold problems, bacteria problems, so your your microorganisms... Uh, protozoa also fit into that category. Uh, sometimes you have like a worm problem, nematodes, uh, or something similar. Uh, they might be an insect or crustacean problem. So it might be uh, certain microcrustaceans. There's very. It's crazy how what the vast array of of organisms. When you start to get to the microscopic level, even just the amount of diversity, there is mind blowing. So, anyway, I'm fascinated with with microbiology i have actually here's a fun fact for you guys i have a background i have a degree in microbiology so uh it's perfect segue into into this um uh landscape era area of healthy landscapes because healthy soil is full of life and unhealthy soil generally is is not full of life and and that totally builds into uh plant health so So, healthy plants usually need healthy soil, and to have healthy soil, you need a healthy array of microorganisms, and uh, that's right up my alley. So, anyway, uh, enough about me. Getting back on track here. So, again, we have uh, different uh, causes of these diseases. So, you have mold, bacteria, protozoa, insects. Um, You may even have diseased plants that are just, because they're not in such a healthy condition, they're more prone to... Uh, pressure from uh, browsing animals and such as well. But that, that's not always the case, you know. Sometimes browsing animals just look for the, the most nutritious plants in the landscape as well. But in general, you're talking about these little guys, these little organisms that sometimes get out of whack and cause problems. And the one thing I'm going to make abundantly clear here, that's not generally talked about is you have more good organisms than you have bad organisms. So this is all about balance. And when this gets out of balance is when you start to have a disease issue. So if you can keep a good balance of the healthy organisms in your landscape, then you're, you're going to have less, fewer problems, uh, of the, of this sort. And, we could talk for hours and upon hours and still not cover this full subject of how to have a healthy balance of organisms. And the the truth is that this is a relatively new era and there's not a whole lot that's known about it, uh, how to support this healthy ecosystem and keep it in balance and how to monitor it well without just waiting until disease issues arrive. Uh, but what I, the point I want to make here is that uh, some of these quick solutions they disturb the healthy balance uh, or the healthy beneficial organisms as well. And so while you might be treating the specific problem, you might be hurting things long-term more so than you think uh, by killing other organisms that help recreate a balance. A kind of a a similar example to this is, I, I gave the example a while back of aphids in a previous episode where if you have an aphid problem and you spray you might also be killing the predators of the aphids at the same time, so you're going to have the aphids bounce back. There Inevitably, there's going to be a few that survive or, or some eggs somewhere that hatch out, or there's going to be a- aphids coming in from off-site from another location, maybe your neighbor's landscape, and they're going to continue to cause that same problem, and so you have to continue to treat for it. And unfortunately, treating for a lot of these organisms, they're not very well targeted, and you're going to have issues of your predator insects That might uh, prey on the aphids such as lace wings and ladybugs those are very very important insects to have in your landscape because they keep and maintain a healthy balance and they grow slower they reproduce more slowly and so unfortunately you disrupt the whole life cycle of your predators and your prey insects the problem insects will be the ones that continue to come back the example I was going to give from a, a medical standpoint too is is antibiotics so We've used antibiotics pretty profusely over the past, uh, say, 100 years. And in that time, we've now started to discover that by taking especially oral antibiotics that go throughout your whole body and your whole bloodstream, that they disrupt normal cycles and, and there's infections that occur only after antibiotic treatment usually that can be very severe just because you took care of one problem and it causes another. Okay. Now diseases in general, the point I want to make here is that they're indicators of deeper issues. Uh, They're usually an indicator of plant stress. And the key for this episode is to figure out what is the root cause of the plant stress? What's the underlying issue of the plant stress? And if we figure that out, and make the plant comfortable and happy, most likely the the disease condition will go away. An example here is, uh, say you have a mole problem. That's pretty common. My neighbor has a mole problem right now and I was chatting with him about it and most often what people do is they try to trap the mole, kill the moles, or use chemicals even to kill the moles or drive them away from their landscape. And especially if you're using the chemicals, uh, these definitely have a more widespread effect than just killing moles specifically. So it's just some, something to exercise caution with. And yes, they can not take care of the mole problem, but most likely the moles are going to come back because you haven't taken care of the root cause. A lot of times moles come around because there's grubs in your landscape and so people hate the grubs, right? They eat the the roots of your grass or whatever and they want to get rid of them and rightfully so. They can cause a lot of problems but usually the reason that you have excess grubs in your landscape is when you have weakened grass plants and especially with excess root zone depth death uh so if your plants your grass plants are stressed to the point where the roots aren't surviving in a healthy manner uh, a lot of times this is due to excess fertilizer use where there's a burst of growth the grass blades are being cut real short the roots are stressed because they can't s- support the growth and then the excess chopping of the grass blades and so the the grass blade uh plant goes into a stress mode and that's when they attract things like the, the excess grubs in your landscape. So by taking care of the the health of your grass in a more holistic manner, you make the grass plants more robust. They become less appealing and less accessible to the grubs, which then the moles leave and go somewhere else because there's fewer grubs. It's a more long-term solution, but it gives you the right solution in the long run as well you have to spend less money and less time treating your your lawn to remove the grubs and the moles so that's an example of how we kind of investigate and diagnose some of these really underlying problems and and what really is the cause as opposed to maybe the surface thing of of oh it's just i have moles in my landscape so when it comes to plant issues 90% of the time I might say, uh, don't quote me on that statistic because, uh, 98% of statistics are not statistically relevant or some, some joke like that. Right. Uh, I would say 90% of the time, if you fix your soil health, you're going to fix the plant health issue. Uh, because, trying to maintain a good fertile healthy soil will inevitably build your soil life which makes your plant happier makes it stronger and a lot of times takes care of the issue even if it's a non-specific adjustment you're making to your soil and fertility. So just something to think about there. If you say say you have to turn off this episode right now and you have to run out in your landscape and fix a plant problem and you can't come back to the episode anymore and can't listen to anything else, the, the key takeaway I'll give you is fix your soil health. Okay, so let's put on our investigator hat and try and get into uh, some of these clues that might lead us to where the problem is coming from. So first, we're going to need to do a little bit of research. And this research will help us understand uh, more about your plant that you're having a problem with, more about your landscape and the specific site your plant is uh, located, and then just some of the conditions in general. So first, what are the preferred plant growth conditions in an ideal situation for your plant? You can usually find this stuff with a quick uh, Google search. And if you just type the plant, Whatever plant you have, type in its common name. You'll find the scientific name. Use the scientific name to look for uh, more details on its growth conditions. So so let's say it's an oak tree, right? Uh, maybe you have a white oak. So you search white oak, and most likely uh, you'll get a Wikipedia result. You might get uh, some other results as well. And that'll tell you the, the scientific name. So for white oak, it's Quercus alba. And so then you type in, you copy that name, type it into your search bar again, Quercus alba uh, growing conditions or something like that. You might not even need to type that. You might just type the species name, genus and species, the scientific name, and you'll come up with a bunch of resources for one, where to buy these plants, but more importantly, uh, some resources that tell you the growing conditions. Uh, One resource that i really enjoy uh, especially for those people that live in the eastern and midwestern u.s uh, throughout the great plains states um, is the missouri botanical garden website uh, they have a huge database of plants and the preferred growing conditions for these plants. So it goes through; it tells you all sorts of things that the plant likes, what types of soil they grow in, what type of light it prefers, what type of moisture conditions, um, and and all sorts of things, all sorts of things like that that are very helpful uh, and things you need to know before moving forward. So once you get these preferred plant conditions, now it's time to look uh, at your landscape at the site where your, your plant is planted, as well as just your general living area. So for your general living area, find out your USDA hardiness zone. So this will tell you basically how cold your landscape gets 90% of the time in the winter. And um, so what's the lowest temperature that you get in your climate? This is helpful because if the plant is unable to survive that condition or it becomes stressed through that condition, that can be a major problem what are your existing soil conditions? This is where you need to get into your specific location of your plant. So what's what's your soil type? If you haven't had a soil test done, this is a very important time to do it. It might lead you to an answer. Uh, So what's your soil type? What's the fertility level of your soil? What's the pH of your soil? Uh, How compacted is your soil? And what's the depth of your topsoil? So how far down until you hit uh, your kind of your subsoil, which is like your clay or your sand or or what have you? Beyond the soil piece, what's your water availability? So what's the frequency of of watering if you're irrigating it for one, or what's the rainfall frequency? What's the quantity of water you get throughout the year and throughout certain seasons uh, if you see stress during a a certain time of year? And what's the drainage of the specific site that you're talking about? So does the site drain well? Does water pool up there? How often does this happen? Either way, uh, do you have erosion there that's occurring? So these are very important things to consider. What's the sun exposure? How much sun does it get? What time of year? And is a uh, sun reflecting off of something if it's you know by the wall of your house and you have strong afternoon sun hitting the wall of your house and the plants right next to it that could be causing plant stress if the plant's not adapted to that condition or alternatively maybe uh you it's in a shady spot um so during a certain time of year that it can't uh, have too much shade what about planting depth especially for shrubs and trees it's very important that uh the when transplanted into your landscape that the plant isn't placed too deeply in the landscape where there's soil touching part of the the area that should be the trunk uh, this can cause some major issues uh let's see what's next okay the space for root expansion so how how much space does the, do the roots have to grow uh this is depth As well as width, are they being crowded by something? Maybe it's a physical structure like concrete, or maybe it's um, some bedrock. Or you could be talking about other plants that might be crowding the roots as well. So something to consider there. And wind exposure, how much wind is the plant uh, receiving? Is it excessive amounts of wind? Or maybe um, uh, that could cause excessive evaporation or heat stress or cold stress in the winter. Okay, so those are a lot of things to consider, but those are all very important things to diagnose the issues. So, before we move on to using some of this stuff, also look around. Is the plant growing something, growing next to something that's allelopathic? And what I mean by this, this is a term that means is it growing next to a plant that secretes chemicals in the soil that prevent its its ability to thrive so I have um, two examples of this actually in our landscape and where this is is certainly occurring Um, one is a we have a type of sunflower that we have planted in our backyard uh, toward the back I kind of put it in this you know the corner where it can just proliferate and grow profusely was my hope and kind of fill the space and provide some really fun uh, late summer beauty well it turns out that I planted this this uh, it's a type of sunflower called a Jerusalem artichoke or a sunchoke, and they I planted them right underneath these hackberry trees. Well, it turns out that these plants do not thrive under the hackberry trees because the leaves of the hackberry tree, when they drop in the fall, they secrete um, tannins, so uh, kind of an acidic uh, type of chemical into the soil and over years they will actually adjust the soil to where there's uh, certain secretions in the soil itself not just the tannins but other chemicals as well I can't remember specifically what the the chemical is from hackberries Uh, but it prevents certain plants from being able to grow and certainly uh, these sunflowers so they've actually really struggled to take off and thrive like they're supposed to. Another example is grass, actually. So a lot of trees struggle when they're planted right in the middle of a bunch of grass uh, because grass uh, secretes chemicals that prevent the um, t- the ability of certain trees to grow. And it's a way for grassland prairies to maintain its prairie-like um, space. So some examples of these allelopathic plants. So I already mentioned hackberries, uh, grass. Also common ones are walnuts or or something in the walnut family like butternut trees. And oaks as well can even have allelopathic product, properties. Um, even maple trees can secrete uh, chemicals. So it's just something to consider. What are the plants growing around your specific problem plant? And Uh, Again, use Google as your friend, your investigator tool to search if those plants, so type in your plant as well as uh, some of the plants around it one by one and see if they're incompatible. Okay, next, what is your current chemical use? So are you using any chemicals on your site that may affect your plant? The most common uh, problem here is when people spray their yard for a, say, a um, a broadleaf treatment, a weed-and-feed treatment on their lawn. And they'll spray it right above the root zone of trees. And these, a lot of these weed-and-feed treatments, they kill any plant that is not a blade-type plant like grass. Um, and so any broadleaf plant like clover or like dandelion will be killed by this chemical. And likewise, your trees... So your trees are considered a broadleaf plant as well, or your shrubs. And so, if you're getting this this chemical to where it seeps into the roots of your tree, it will cause disease problems and stress problems in your tree, and you might even kill it. Uh, this is very common. I see it, uh, especially in commercial landscapes as well, where where I see the the, the area that should be a kind of a mulch circle it gets weeds and so landscape maintenance people will spray that area for weeds and it kills the tree. And so if you're using chemicals uh, improperly where where they'll affect the plant that's having problems, uh, that if you stop the use of that chemical soon enough, you might get a, uh, a healthier plant. All right. We've got tons of information now. We've got information about what makes our plant happy. What's its ideal situation. We've got information about your specific space. And we've asked a lot of questions about the habits and practices that you've made in your landscape that might positively or negatively uh, affect your plants. So what can we do with all this information? Let's ask a few questions here that might help drill down into what the specific issues are. The the first and most obvious thing to do is you've got all these existing conditions of your specific garden location and you've got the the desired conditions of your plant. Check and see if there's a mismatch. If you're planting a plant that doesn't grow in the right pH and in say say you for I've used this example in previous episodes as well. We have blueberry plants. They prefer uh, pretty acidic conditions. Uh, I planted them in our front garden, which is basic by nature. Uh, So the bedrock is limestone. It provides a, a, a fairly basic clay subsoil, and usually the topsoil is basic as well. We planted it in a space where there were previously some evergreen bushes, and evergreens tend to acidify soil. So I assumed, without doing any soil testing, that the blueberries would thrive there. Well, as it turns out, they're really struggling because, uh, unfortunately, the the subsoil in our area is so dominantly basic that it quickly out over influence the, the acidic, uh, nature of the previous evergreen plants. So if there's an incompatibility like that, that the plant just cannot adapt to, that could be your issue. That could be what's weakening your plant or, uh, causing it to have stress with growth. And, uh, that can be very important. Uh, similarly, if your plant doesn't do well in, uh, compacted soil conditions, uh, and it requires loose soil, that could be an indicator as well. A lot of developed areas, like your your subdivisions, they as they're constructed, the soil becomes very compacted and low in nutrients. And so this is a very common condition with, with landscape plants. Okay, so do that exercise, check if there's a mismatch between desired and existing conditions. And then ask yourself, can this issue be easily corrected? Sometimes it can, and, and if, if it can't, you're in luck. Um, it might require ongoing maintenance to correct, but if you really want to save this plant or you really like this plant for a certain reason, it might be worth the effort, even though it, it might cause extra work. So if that's the case, you're in luck. Or maybe it's an issue you can correct without having to um, provide long-term maintenance, which is even more ideal. The next, can you fix the soil health in life? Sometimes by just building the soil, and like I said earlier in the episode, a lot of times uh, if you just fix the soil health, then you'll end up with better plant health for most plants. Uh, And so you can do this through composting, Uh, adding compost you don't want to add too much and you don't want to add it uh, in depth you want to add it uh, as a top dressing to your garden beds Uh, usually uh, small layers at a time so a quarter to a half inch at a time Um, if you want to do more I would suggest mixing it with topsoil so you're not overly concentrating uh, the area with um, sometimes um, some pretty strong conditions And you might also end up with a lot of leaching if you add too much. So uh, compost, mulching as well, uh, is very important. It it provides a more natural basis um, to your garden beds if you're using the right mulches. So you're allowing ongoing decomposition, some nurturing active soil life. You're insulating your soil. So mulch is very important. Um, And there's certain nutrients or additions you can add as well, especially if you get a soil test and they come back with a uh, some recommendations, but again, if you're talking about uh, NPK levels or whatever, uh, just be careful with using uh, synthesized ones because they're highly concentrated. They leach out quickly, and they cause—they usually cause too much um, of a boost at once and then it's lost and it causes kind of a dependency and its own problems as well. So if you're looking at nutrients, consider more natural options, uh, maybe where things are naturally available in lower doses uh, that release over time. You can also consider more kind of concentrated amendments that are liquid form. So two that come to mind that they aren't readily available always, um, but you can check for them or, or make them yourself. Uh, the first is Garrett Juice. So this is a product uh, that's promoted by Howard Garrett uh, of the Dirt Doctor Show down in Texas. And he actually provides a pretty good amendment uh, that that is really good at boosting soil life. So you can, you can check. If you just search for Garrett Juice, you'll find it. It's G-A-R-R-E-T-T, I believe is how you spell his last name. And uh, if you search for that, he sells it as well as um you can uh, he gives away the recipe freely if you want to make it yourself uh similarly compost tea so if you can find a good healthy compost tea these aren't generally very shelf stable because it's it's a product that's teeming with with uh, beneficial organisms for your soil but it can be used as a foliar spray or as a soil spray and really change things around quickly so something to consider uh they're more of a organic gardening uh type product, but they're very helpful in the, uh, boosting your soil health. So something to consider if that's what you want to do. Other uh, types of amendments you can consider are green sand. So these are, this is a type of clay that's mined from old, uh, old marine ocean sediment. And so it's full of a lot of different minerals, a lot of trace minerals. It also is good at absorbing water and retaining it in your your soil and it also is a slow release of uh, I believe it's potassium so it's a good amendment Uh, don't use any of these uh, amendments without first knowing what you're doing with them so I recommend you research each of these Uh, kelp as well as as used as a good amendment To boost some of the organic matter that's available in your soil. Um, You can also use molasses as kind of a a sugar boost to some of the organisms there if you have a a little bit present already. I usually suggest that in combination with some of these other amendments. And also uh, becoming a lot more popular is mycorrhizal fungi. Um, So inoculating your soil with these uh, fungi that are able to grow in tandem with Plants to help boost the plant health as well as the fungal health with good, healthy fungi. So these are just some examples of amendments. We'll get into a lot more into amendments in the future uh, with with more in depth shows about it and what each type of amendment can do and when a certain one's important and when one's not. But again, overall here I recommend they're used more as a a nurturing thing to uh, a, a tool to build the health of your landscape so you don't have to maintain it and keep adding stuff in the future. So that's kind of what these things, that's what the goal of these things should be. So they're not just something to kind of use lackadaisically or, or willy nilly or whatever the term you want to use is, uh, they're, they're used for a specific purpose. And so I suggest you research what they do before just going out and using them. Okay. So We've talked about how we can fix our soil health. Uh, Sometimes, unfortunately, there's just a complete mismatch between the desired plant conditions and the existing conditions of your location. And if that's the case, there are a couple things you can do here. One is you can uh, choose to accept the diseased condition as is. If you really want this plant, uh, you want to save it for some reason, and you don't want to wait for a new plant to take its place uh, you may just have to either accept the condition or, um, replace it with something. You can choose to replace it. or, uh, another option is to find out what you can do to fix, uh, the plant condition without solving the underlying problem. And this often requires continued treatment. So if you really want the plant and, um, you may just need to continually treat it to, uh, solve the, the, outward problem without, uh, fixing what the core issue is. So if you do want to replace the plant, you just, you decide to go with that process, that that corrective action which unfortunately sometimes you have to do if it's a incompatible plant like the the sunflowers in our backyard either the sunflowers or the hackberry trees have to go and most likely it'll be the sunflowers because the hackberry trees are 30 years old and I don't want to remove a mature tree just for some sunflowers Uh, likewise the blueberries they'll probably have to get moved uh, because they're not going to thrive in that can that location unless I continue to amend the soil every uh, couple seasons. So when you're looking for a replacement plant, think about what plant can meet the aesthetic desire and fit the space conditions. And, and again, you kind of go through the same investigative process. So what are my current conditions? And then you work backward to, say, to see what plants... able to grow in that condition and that's the the fun piece where you start to really get um to look at some different options and make a great choice to to fit your new landscape space so that's it for today guys we're we're done with our investigation i hope this is giving you some direction on what to do with your plants that are having problems in your landscape and I really hope it moves your landscape into a positive direction where you can you can have the beauty that you want without uh, taking tons of time to maintain your landscape, and that's what it's all about here, guys. And the way we do that is through plant health and keeping you healthy at the same time. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're not really w- sure where to start, you know, if this may sound overwhelming or you just want to get moving now, I have two things for you. First, uh, to make a change right now and saving time to without any expense on your part, I uh, suggest you go over to aestheticecosystems.com slash 27 hours. That's two seven hours. And, and check out the resource I have there. There's a free guide I have on how to save 27 hours just through simple habit changes in your landscape. It'll give you back a ton of time this season. And, and I hope you can use that time to make a positive difference in your life. And if you want to go deeper, if you need some help with what you're working on, Head on over to aestheticecosystems.com/consulting and look at the options there. I have available for direct one-on-one consulting through virtual consultation, and I can help you with your issues you might be having, or I can help you with uh, setting goals for your landscape and how to save time. and We can we can work more deeply on on how to do that. Okay, now it's time to talk about the launch party, guys. Uh, excuse me, not party, but partay. Uh, the launch parte is for the first two months of the show from March 11th through May 11th, 2018. I want to have some fun uh, to help spread award, spread the word about the show. Uh, I really appreciate your enthusiasm and interest in this show, and I want to get you guys involved and have some fun while we're doing it. So this is a chance to have some fun to uh, for us to get connected, uh, to win some prizes, and uh, Uh, Let's talk about the prizes before we talk about what we're doing. So what are the prizes? Weekly, I'm offering a free consultation with me, Ben Hale, which is normally a $99 value. So uh, one person each week uh, that gets involved in the launch partay uh, gets a free consultation. I'm also giving away... A free offer for one of my eBooks, 10 Ways to Get More Beauty with Less Work, which is a $19 value. Uh, Next, the grand prize. There is only one of these we're giving away through this whole launch party. So at the end of the launch party, the Organic Lawn Care Manual by Paul Tukey. So Paul Tukey himself has offered to give away one free book to a lucky winner uh, that's getting involved in this launch party, uh, and this book is all about how to manage a healthy lawn, from anything from a golf course style lawn to your uh, low maintenance lawn, which of course is something I prefer here on this show. Right? I own this book. I've read this book multiple times. I've given it away. It's a kind of a, a tattered and worn version that I have, um, and uh, I, I I use some of these practices in my own lawn. So. I I love this book, and I highly um, promote it as well, and you'll hear me talk about it throughout the show, Uh, but Paul Tukey has been kind enough to offer a copy of his book as a grand prize, and there's also a special surprise for everybody that's uh, going to be getting involved in the launch party. The Rolling River Nursery out of California has offered a A special surprise for everybody that's involved. The Rolling River Nursery is a a USDA certified organic nursery. So I went online and I looked around for nurseries that have online availability shipped through the continental U.S. and have some great offerings. And Rolling River Nursery has been kind enough to become involved with our launch party. And they're not only are they online availability, but they also are certified organic, which means they don't use any harmful herbicides or pesticides that you have to be concerned with your family about. And so what you're getting is a safe and healthy plant. They also offer a ton of edible plants and trees and shrubs, cacti and succulents. So um, they offer several trees and shrubs that are adaptable throughout the most of the United States. So definitely worth checking them out. And in addition, these guys are also involved with a, uh, a non-profit in Southern California to help local food movements called plantingjustice.org. So if you want to learn more about them, uh, you can go to rollingrivernursery.com. And I also want to give a shout out to uh, Paul Tukey's website – Uh, for his organic lawn care manual and his other works is paultukey.com, P-A-U-L-T-U-K-E-Y. And uh, to sum up, guys, okay, you want to learn how to get involved with this uh, launch party? Go over to aestheticecosystems.com slash pod launch and uh, that's p o d l a u n c h there's a link in the show notes um and that's that's going to give you all the instructions on how to get involved uh, there's two ways specifically to get involved one is through uh sharing with your uh, peeps on Facebook and the other is through leaving a review on iTunes both of these are going to help spread the word about the show and get other people other friends listening to it as well and i uh, sure appreciate your help here and and likewise uh, this is going to be a fun time so uh, so go on over and to aestheticecosystems.com slash launch to get involved. Check out the show notes uh, for any links I mentioned today. Uh, we talked about uh, saving 27 hours in your landscape. Uh, and uh, I'll try and leave a link there as well to Missouri Botanical Garden that I mentioned earlier. And before you head out, I see, I want you to head on over to your app that you're listening on or your computer or whatever and subscribe subscribing will make sure you get the future episodes delivered right to you and ready to go so you can listen to them on a timely basis. And And make sure you go over to iTunes or Stitcher or, or your favorite listening uh, app and leave a review so we can get to reach more people through this podcast and make a positive difference in everybody's lives that's listening. And, and before you go, I just want to say thanks for tuning in and make sure you live with passion and make tomorrow better than today.